often. And we are taking a break from Exodus today. We're going to be in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. You should have a little handout on your chair near you. So unique is today's message that you have to have two sides of the handout. Wow. The anticipation is building. Feel free to take your coffees or teas with you, obviously, to your seats. Also, just welcome to anyone who's new. I, I see some new faces. If, forgive me if I haven't met you yet. Love to meet you uh, today. That's one of the reasons we do the Bring and Share. And so if you're visiting today and you didn't realize there's a Bring and Share, guests go first. So don't worry about if you didn't bring any food. You get to go first. Uh, guests go first. In fact, usually we go guests go first, then parents with very small children so the kids don't paw everything that's on the tables. Uh, and then after that, uh, everyone who's uh, basically over 18, and then the teenagers last, otherwise there'll be no food for anybody. That's the way it usually works. Ephesians chapter 4, you guys there? So as we've been kind of hyping up the last couple of weeks, today we want to talk about what's going to be happening over the next two to four years at Servants Church. And we want to do that by beginning to look at a text that is really important, should be really important for every church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So let's read that, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into it together. And Christ gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And Father, we pray that you would indeed do all those things that we're commanded to experience, that you desire for us to experience as your people. We pray, God, as we talk about what it means to be a culture of discipleship, that we would see not just a vision or a way to, to talk about direction for a church, but we would see your vision for your church across the board. Lord, that we would see that it is the New Testament vision that the local church be a culture of discipleship. Father, please, would you speak to us, help us to see this, and help us to live this out by the power of your spirit, for your glory and our good. And everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. Culture. It's a word that we kind of know, but it's a word that we kind of need to get our head around. Culture. 
Culture is what a particular group practices as normal and expected and corporately beneficial. That's what culture is. So, so if, you, if the behaviors of, an empl- of employees at a particular business are motivated to, to undercut each other because of fear of being fired, then that is the company's culture. Uh, when family members grow up as season ticket holders for Ipswich, and every member schedules their time around Ipswich games, then that is just sad. And also, an example of culture. See, if I was an Ipswich, I would have said Norwich. You see, that's how it works. So when we talk about a culture of discipleship, a culture of discipleship describes the New Testament vision for the local church where Jesus followers help one another follow Jesus. But sadly, this isn't always our experience. Now, we're going to talk about how we're doing so far as Servants Church in this. But before we talk about that, let's make sure that we understand from the text what we mean by a culture of discipleship. I I hope as we go through these things, as we talk about these kind of three legs that a culture of discipleship stands on, I hope that you see this is kind of stuff I've all heard before. It's pretty familiar. It seems kind of common sense. I hope that's the case. I hope that you see the common sense to this. I hope that you see this is indeed what God calls all churches, local churches, to prioritize. So let's pick it up in verse 11 again. Right? Paul writes, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. He. In fact, you wouldn't see this in the English, but when it says he gave, the, 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 the emphasis is on the word he. It's like, it's like Paul saying he gave these things. Christ gave these, these people. It's Christ's priority to, to provide leaders who equip the church. Leaders who equip the church are indeed Christ's gift to the church. Now, it sounds a little bit self-congratulatory, doesn't it? That's easy for you to say, John, you're standing up there. I'm Christ's gift to the church. That is not what we're saying, okay? Notice he says, uh, he he names all these different groups, and if we had more time today, we'd talk about what an apostle is compared to what a a prophet is compared to what a shepherd is and so on and so forth. We talk about those, but just know this, all these gifts, or all these really are actually offices, all these offices have to do with instruction. They're all instructional gifts. They're all offices that uh, instruct. But it's more than just kind of, here's some information for you. The church is never meant to be an information station. And this is one of the tricks that we have to be careful of as a church that emphasizes teaching. It's easy for us to become an information station. This is not what God wants us to be. Equipping is more than just, here's some information. Equipping is, let's talk about, here's some tools that you can use to fulfill the role that God has for you. And this is the priority, and I'm not just saying this because of this verse. Listen to this, Paul says also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, Paul says, and God has appointed in the church, notice, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration of various kinds of tongues. The point Paul makes here is that there's not a hierarchy in God's, in the body of Christ, but there is a prioritizing of the gifts. And the reason there's an prioritizing of the instructional gifts is, listen, because all of us have gifts that God intends us to use, and we need to be equipped in how to use them. This is, this is the, the goal. This is the priority. 
In fact, when we talk about equipping as the priority, look at verse 12. Paul writes, this is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, don't think saints as the really spiritual people or the people that after they've died, the church has decided, yeah, they were the good ones. That's not what the Bible means by saints. To be a saint is a set-apart one. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus to save you, you're set apart for his purposes. You're set apart when you're a saint. So when the Bible talks about saints in, in context like this, it's talking about everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone who has been born of the Spirit, who's put their faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for them. That's a saint. You're a saint. If you believe in Jesus, if you know that it's in him and him alone that you can be saved, it's because of his work and his work alone that you can be right with God and have hope for the future. If that's where you're at, you're a saint. And so what he says here is, listen, that the work of the ministry is everybody's responsibility. Everyone's. Now, he goes on to say this in verse 12. He says, the work of the ministry is for this purpose, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, that phrase, building up, it's, a, it's an architectural term. Do you guys know what a blueprint is? That might be a really American phrase, a blueprint. So some of you might know. It's like a, 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 a schematic for building a house, and they were kind of printed off in this blue, really funky blue paper. And I used to have to look at this, these things all the time because I used to put in these massive irrigation systems for, uh, for uh, you, know, you know, big shopping centers and stuff. And they had these really complex schematics on blue paper. That's a blueprint. It was basically like the architect saying, this is exactly how things are supposed to be laid out. Here's where you dig the ditch. Here's where you put this size pipe. Here's where this valve's meant to go. The other valves need to go over there. I mean, it's just really precise what needs to happen. So when Paul says, listen, that this, we are to be equipped for this work of the ministry, everyone's responsibility, we are also to be building up or be, listen, to be building according to God's blueprints. So we sometimes hear this word, you know, edify or build up, and we can kind of think, Edify, to be edified means, in fact, we use this in kind of common vernacular, to edify means to make somebody feel good. But building isn't always about feeling good. What makes something building up is not how it makes you feel, but what it produces in you. How it makes you fit into God's economy, into God's household. And so this is really important. That the equipping is the priority of a culture of discipleship. So here's why, and this, this is the little fill-out bit in your handout, okay? See, we cannot trust Jesus if we do not understand who he is and what he's done. Who is he? He's God's only son. What has he done? He's lived a perfect life. He's died a substitutionary death. He rose from the dead to prove that all that he is and all that he says is true. He's ascended to the Father's right hand. He will return in glory and make all things right. When we talk about the plan, this is why we follow Jesus. We say, Jesus, you are God's blueprint. We want to follow after you. So if we don't know who you are, if we don't understand what you've accomplished, if we're so focused on what i got to do, what i got to do, we're not going to trust Jesus. We gotta trust Jesus if we do not. Uh, uh, we gotta. We cannot trust Jesus if we do not understand who He is and what He's done. This is where equipping 
becomes a priority. So that every time we gather together, hopefully you're feeling like, yep, I get it. I understand how who Jesus is and what he's done should affect how I relate to everyone else around me, including God. But here's the second thing. Not only is equipping uh, should be the priority, but maturity is the goal. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, Paul writes, we, we build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's basically shepherds and saints. So it's equipping of the, of, of the saints. You guys are being equipped by those of us who are, have this position to instruct you in this. That, that, that This is not just for your building up or your maturity. It's for our maturity. All of us have to grow. We're all called to mature. What does it mean to mature? Verse 13 still. And notice he says, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is a fancy way of Paul saying, here's the goal. The goal is to become like Jesus. What's the measure of maturity? It's Jesus. Now, as I say this, I wonder how many of you guys might start feeling a little bit of a burden, like, oh man, I'm so far from being like Jesus. Can you see why the equipping is so important? Because if you think it's up to you to make yourself like Jesus, that it's all on you to somehow conform to Jesus, to follow the example of Jesus. If you think it's all on you, you need more equipping to understand what Christ has done, to understand what Christ is doing by his spirit in you, to understand what the blueprint looks like. But we cannot get away from the fact that maturity is the goal. To become like Jesus is the goal. Verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children. In other words, our default position is immaturity. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now again, I, I wish we had more time to unpack what, what these things could be implying, but just know this, this is talking about in general bad doctrine or bad teaching. Teaching that, that teaches a different Jesus. I wish I would have kept these things in my notes. I was going to put them on the PowerPoint, I, but I didn't. Forgive me. But I was thinking about how do we tend to look at Jesus, or how do we tend to relate to Jesus? A lot of times, even those of us who on paper would identify the proper Jesus, we live or we relate to Jesus as if Jesus is our taskmaster. We're afraid if we don't do right, he's going to wipe us out. Or some of us relate to Jesus as our sugar daddy. I'm going to nuzzle up to him. He's going to give me all that I want. Or maybe we, we relate to Jesus as our, as our boyfriend. Oh, I love him so much. And as long as I feel good from him, everything's the way it's meant to be. But who is Jesus? He's our Savior. He's our Savior. Now, the truth is, there should be a fear of the Lord when it comes to relating to God. So it's not like it's, it's ever wrong for us to go, man, I need to think about Am I obeying Jesus? And it's not wrong for us to, to, to think, Lord, I need you to provide every aspect. I, in fact, I'm going to ask you to provide things I'm not even sure if you want for me because God's that good. He actually give good gifts to his children. And it's okay for us to, to have uh, warm and strong feelings. We should love God with all our hearts. We should love Jesus that way. It's totally appropriate for us to do that. But we relate to him first and foremost as our Savior. Bad doctrine, bad teaching 
tends to not make us being like Jesus the goal, tends to be like making what we get from Jesus the goal. Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't help us. See, here's the deal. If, if God's goal for us is to become like Jesus, then we need to understand, again, here's a fill-in bit. Ready? We will not follow Jesus if we do not want his goal for our lives. See, so, so if we're here, and, and again, if you're visiting and you're new to, to Christianity or you're new to church, and I, I don't want to uh, blow your minds with things that are pretty hard to understand sometimes, okay? So, so try, to, try to follow with us, and, and if you have any questions, please ask afterwards. But for those of us who have been a part of the church, those of us who know how this works, we know that we need Jesus to save us, Right? Sometimes we can get to this place where we go, God, I, I want you to keep me from hell. I do. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want any kind of judgment. And I, I know enough to know that I, I, I need forgiveness, but I want to kind of live my life on my terms. I'll call you if I need you. Don't call me. I'll call you. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the goal that God so lovingly has for us. God's goal for you, listen, can't you understand? God's goal for you is way greater than your goal for yourself. Do you understand that? He can't give you anything greater than himself. Therefore, he can't make you into anyone greater than his son who gets to enjoy God forever. That's what our destiny is in Christ, to, to be conformed to the image of Christ so we can enjoy God forever. If you don't want that, you're not going to follow Jesus. Lastly, in verse 15, he says, rather, instead of being deceived, instead of being pulled away by bad doctrine, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Interesting, the, the word speaking isn't actually in the original. It's, it's, it's literally more like truthing in love. Or like the ladies learned yesterday, gospeling yourself. Or this is, in this case, it would be gospeling one another. Speaking good news. But it's not just speaking good news. See, see we're talking about here, equipping, in a culture of discipleship, equipping is the priority. You've got to be taught how to, how, how do you actually relate to each other? How do we actually move forward in the, in the culture? What does the culture look like? What are the expected and normal behaviors? What is corporately beneficial? You need to be equipped in that. We all need to be equipped in that. But also maturity is the goal. We know, okay, where is this going? We're going to be made like Jesus so we can enjoy God forever. But also, what's the method? The method is body ministry. That is, the method is us as members of Christ's body ministering to each other. We gospel one another. We share truth to one another. Now listen, when we talk about gospel, it's kind of a Christian word, right? Gospel. It simply means good news. And here's the thing you have to understand about good news. Listen. Uh, the author Tim Chester says it this way. I should have put it on the screen as well. Sorry. But Tim Chester says it this way. He says, because the gospel is good news, it must be explained. We might say in the context of this application, it must be something we're constantly reminding each other about. As we were singing the songs today and we were singing gospel truth, I had to confess to the Lord, God, I'm having a hard time believing what I know to be true. I'm going to sing with my whole heart, but I'm struggling to believe what I know to be true. 
And I'm so thankful for songs that remind us of the gospel. But also, listen, because it's good news, it must be demonstrated. So maybe you're thinking, I'm not very good at kind of explaining. Maybe I can just say, but I know God loves you. Hey, that's, that's good. Do that. <laughs> but can you show that? Because in a culture of discipleship, remember, culture is about what we practice. It's about how we behave. It's about what we, how we demonstrate what our priorities are. How does this work? Look at verse 16. He says, from whom? That's, that is, from Christ. Christ is the head, and from him whom the whole body is joined together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. This is what we call every member ministry. Who's the head? Jesus. Who's the servant of Servants Church? Jesus. That's why it's apostrophe before the S. Jesus is the servant. It's his church. He's the head. And as we relate rightly to him, you know what ends up happening? We relate rightly to one another. You see, listen, Christ, if you are connected to the head, Christ's body is your body. The two have become one. There's a closeness and an inseparableness with you in Christ. That when you become a Christian, you don't just join a, a community. You do that. Don't get me wrong. You do that. You join a real Every, every kind of week, every day kind of community. You join that, that has practical expression. You do, but it's bigger than that. You're joining the eternal family, and it's even bigger than that. You are being knit together with God's Son himself. As close as your head is to your body, are we as God's people to Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you get your head chopped off, it doesn't go too well for the rest of the body. The, the, the body is dependent upon the head. But also, I don't know if you've experienced this. This might be something you have experienced. If you lost any member, a finger, a little toe, you feel that. You feel the impact in your balance and your ability to do things. And the more of the body that you lose physically, the more you miss of the body. This is important. It's important because... When we're talking about how we become or how we grow as the culture of discipleship, body ministry is the method. This is not, listen, this is not John Brown's vision for the church. This is Jesus' vision for his church. This is Jesus' vision for every church. Look, different different styles and different, different kind of congregations, but this is Jesus' vision for all his people. Do you see that? And, and this is what we have to understand. We have to understand this. Every member ministry is not just me being the mouth who gets to, oh, I'm the mouth. I get to flap my gums every Sunday. And I feel good because I get to exercise my gift. No. Every member ministry is about, is about maybe that was God saying don't flap your teeth. <laughs> every, every member ministry is, is, is about, listen, it has its source and its motivation in Jesus. Every member of ministry is like, Jesus, you are worthy. I want to stay connected to you. I want to get my, my orders from you, my impulse from you, and I want to send that out to who, at whatever members are nearby. 
Lord, I, I want to do whatever you'd have me do. See, one of the problems when we talk about body ministry, one of the mistakes that we, I think we make, I really do believe we make as modern Christians, is we're so individualistic. We think about body ministry, we want to go, well, what member am I? Am I the hand? Am I the mouth? Am I the pinky? Am I just a cell? Hey, I'm just a red blood cell. That's all I am. I just kinda, I'm just there. And we're so consumed on who am I? No. The motivation is who is Jesus? And are we rightly connected to him? And what would he have us do? Because if he's the source, he can do what he wants. So I played sports growing up. I played American football. I played baseball. I played basketball. Uh, surfed. I'm not completely unathletic unless we play proper football. You've seen it. Those of you who have seen it, you've seen it. It's pretty pathetic when I try to play football, as we say in America, soccer. It's so bad. I remember the first church camp we had, we, I was, we had in our church camp was that, who went that year was a guy named Robert Fleck. You guys know who Robert Fleck is? North City footballer? And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to show that I, I'm an athlete. I can do this, right? <laughs> so Robert Fleck boots it, goes way in the air, and I'm like, that's mine. I was going to like, I thought I was going to like stop it with my chest and, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do this, right? I slip, bam, right in the face. <laughs> yes. It did hurt. The thing is, is that I don't even know why I told that story. I just lost my train of thought completely. <laughs> I think the humility came right back. The humiliation came right back up. The reality is, it's, it doesn't really matter what we think we can do. What matters is what Jesus can do. Body ministry is about not figuring out what your place is. It's, figuring, it's, it's recognizing your relationship with Jesus and how it expresses itself through the rest of the body. This is what's gotten to when Paul says that you are members one of another. You belong together. Can you imagine if your physical body, imagine if your right hand decided, I am not scratching anyone but myself. No one else in the body. So you got an itch and you're thinking, no. And you, and you just, oh, I got an itch and you're having like, it would be ridiculous. No, you, your body doesn't even do that. Your physical body doesn't do that. If you have an itch, your hand just scratches it. It just does it. Why? Because the impulse is from the head. This is important because when we're talking about a culture of discipleship, we're not just talking about the equipping bit. I'm coming in, I'm learning. Nor are we even just talking about the maturity bit. I want to grow. We're talking about the body bit. What God calls us all to do and be. Again, look at verse 16. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by whatever joint uh, which, with which is equipped with each part in working properly. Notice, makes the body grow. How does the body grow? When each member does its part. It makes the body grow so that, what does it do? It builds itself up. Here's the plan, the architectural blueprint. It builds itself up in love. See, when we talk about every member ministry having its source and motivation in Jesus, it's also important for us to recognize that every member love, when we love each other as Christ loves us. And this is not an easy thing. It's easy to say. It makes us even feel kind of good, but man, it's hard to do, isn't it? You, you wait. You're going to feel this when you're like in the back of the queue for food and ain't hardly anything left. Man, I wanted that piece of chicken. You're going to feel this. But you know what happens when we love people, when we put their needs above our own? 
you know what happens? We give evidence to who Jesus is and what he's done. L listen to this. These are, these are verses that you guys all probably know. Many of you guys know these things by heart. Listen to this. We give evidence... When we love each other this way, we give evidence that, that we follow Jesus when we love like Jesus. John chapter 13 says this. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What evidence is there that we belong to Jesus? And then it's good to belong to Jesus. Here's the evidence. We love each other. We're committed to each other. No, it's cool. You have that piece of chicken. <laughs> this is the evidence. You know what else he does? Listen to this. This is Jesus' prayer in John 17. He says that he's praying to the Father that they, that's people like us who believe in Jesus, may become perfectly one. One in love. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you love me. When we love one another like this, when we do real body ministry, we're giving evidence that God sent Jesus to the world. This is not, listen, this is not just how we can make our gatherings more pleasant. This is how we make the gospel known. If you're visiting today, and maybe you're even new to Christianity, maybe this stuff is kind of new to you, you're not really sure where you you stand with Jesus, you're not really sure, you're attracted to him, but you don't know him maybe the way you think you should, or you're not sure what that means even. If you're in this place, I really hope that you see evidence that God did indeed send Jesus, and you see evidence that we indeed want to follow him as we love each other. I really pray you see that. See, here's the deal. Listen. We need each other. We cannot be a witness without each other. Here's the, here's the reality. Listen, another fill-in bit. You ready? We do not follow Jesus when we seek to do it without the help of his people. Why do we gather together? Because we need God's people. Let me rephrase that. Why do we forsake the gathering of ourselves together? Because we don't think we need God's people. And when we do that, we're not actually following Jesus. Hey, this is not about guilt trip. Why are you at church every Sunday? It's not what I'm saying. But it is about a reality that if we're going to be a culture of discipleship where we're discipling each other and loving each other and being equipped how to do that in a way that what is attractive to people out there in the world who don't know Jesus, what's attractive to them is how we love each other. So when they come here, they go, yeah, that looks like what I would think someone who loves like Jesus looks like. That's what God wants to do by the power of his Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a culture of discipleship. So, how are we doing? How is Servants Church doing with this? And why is it that not just Servants Church, all churches struggle with this? Let me first, first of all just say, I think you guys are doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm really blessed by what I've seen. I, Sarah and I are just so thankful to see what God's done in different people's lives over the years. It's a blessing to be a part of this church. It really, really is. I mean that. I remember we were talking, we started the One Another series. If you, haven't, if you weren't here when we did the One Another series, 
I encourage you to go back and listen to those online. But when we started the One Another series that Josh and Kitty had brought a friend who they had brought years before. I don't know how long ago. Maybe when they were at university. And she came back for a visit. She was here. And I was talking about how easy it is for us to pull back from each other and not draw near to each other. And she was baffled because she's like, this is one of the most loving churches I've ever been to. I thought, well, that's good news. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we can't grow in that category. It doesn't mean we should be slack in that. So, so why is it that churches struggle with this, including the Servant Church? Well, to, to talk about this, I want to give you guys a bit of uh, our, our history as a church and then kind of take that all the way to where we're going in the future. We think God is leading us in the future. So, so most churches begin like this, okay? You have a pastor and his family, and they're providing ministry to both saints and seekers. Saints being those who know Jesus, seekers being those who are maybe being drawn, okay? So we started Servants Church. It was actually back then called Calvary Chapel Norwich. Because Calvary Chapel is a group of churches that, we, that sent us out here. Uh, Calvary Chapel of Norwich, in 31st of December, 2004. So, you know, going on close to 19 years. And it was just that. It was m- me and, and Sarah and our five children coming here. And our first Bible study was in our home on that New Year's Eve. And there were six of us. Sarah and I, a couple who wanted to be a part of that, and the, and the original couple who, actually there were seven of us because Garrett came too. But the, uh, another couple who had heard about it and came over. And this is how most churches start. They start with this way. People are, are hungry for something, something new. Maybe they're disillusioned because they don't feel the church that they've been going to is a culture of discipleship. And so this is kind of what happened. We had this happen. And many churches will grow into this. The pastor and a select few will provide ministry to a growing number of saints and seekers. This would describe us from 2005 to probably through 2006. We started, we were predominantly homeschooling families. Now we homeschooled, Sarah and I homeschooled our kids all the way through uh, for different reasons, okay? And I think I have a right to say, us homeschoolers can be a bit weird. We are a diverse, strange bunch. We can be a bit weird. And so there was that kind of a little bit weirdness. But one of the reasons we attracted this is because the homeschoolers were feeling quite marginalized in their churches. And they were happy to come to a place where they were accepted and even encouraged and equipped to disciple their kids through homeschooling. But many churches also continue to grow, as we did, where the pastor and the select few, they maintain this ministry to a growing number of saints and seekers. And this is kind of describes us from 2006 to about 2012. It was in this time that we changed our name to Servants Church. We experienced a lot of pretty heavy difficulties. Some of you guys were with us, have been with us since that time. And you know of some of those difficulties. Heavy, heavy things. But we also had some sporadic growth. And it was during this time with some of these heavy things, he's struggling with leadership stuff and wondering how we move things forward, that this kind of idea, this, this kind of convictions about a cultural discipleship began to develop in my heart. I actually spent a year reading every leadership book I could find, and most of them are rubbish, by the way. <laughs> but I read all these leadership books about what does it mean what, what does church leadership look like? And, and it just really, I was really just convicted of this idea of culture of discipleship being the New Testament model. And so in that, we see the churches grow, and we even sent out a few people. Uh, many churches desire to develop into something like this, where the leadership team begins to equip a growing number of saints who utilize their time, talent, and treasure 
to attract seekers and send out a few saints. Now, we were experiencing this from about 212 to 217. When we moved into this building, and I can't remember exactly the, the, the year that we moved into this building. When we moved into this building, we had kind of, kind of, we had, in the first two years, we grew to about 70, then we had some problems, and we shrunk down to about 25, and then we started to build back up. And by the time we moved back into this building, we were about up to about 70 people, and we doubled in a year. Part of it's because the building's nice, and the building we met up before when it was the old school. Oh, man, it was absolutely freezing in the winter. People would literally, you guys remember this? They used to come wearing, like, beanies and what were they, woolly caps and blankets because it was so cold in the winter. It wasn't pleasant. We used to say, oh, we literally love the service. We'll see you in the spring. <laughs> and and we, we saw this. We saw the, the leadership team develop. Uh, there was a season where we had, I had two other guys pastoring with me. That's always been the goal, even, even before I kind of caught this vision for a culture of discipleship being the New Testament vision. I always wanted there to be men who shared leadership. I always wanted there to be a, what they call a plurality of eldership. That was my conviction when I left California, because Calvary chapels tend not to be that way, and I wanted that to change. And so we saw, we saw Adam who's on holiday this week, but Adam was pastoring with us. We saw Joe, who's no longer with us. He was pastoring with us. And things were going really well. The church was growing. It was amazing, the, the, the freedom that came, not just to me, but to the congregation from the difference when I said, you know, I've, I've been seeking the Lord, and I think we're going, we're, God's calling us this, to we've been seeking the Lord, and this is what God's calling us to go. It made a massive difference to us as a church. It was healthy. It was good. But, but there's this, this thing that happens, okay? Stuff happens. Stuff that nobody plans for. And this kind of describes what happened to us between about 2017 and through the pandemic. Leadership team shrinks, but still ministers to a growing number of saints who utilize their time, talent, and treasure to attract seekers to send out a few saints. Now, interesting, when we, we about 2017, 2018 is when I Adam had to step down from pastoring. He and Emma adopted four kids, and so basically just shifted from pastoring the church to pastoring the kids. And we lost Joe, and if you guys want to know the story of how we lost Joe, I'll tell you afterwards. And other people kind of moved away that were key people, and it was a really struggle because basically we're, around this time, we were averaging about 140 to 150 on a Sunday with kids, and from that time until 2019, right before the pandemic, we were, then began averaging about 170 people with kids Person. That means some Sundays were over 200, some Sundays were a bit less. But it was me sort of primarily leading the church. And, and it was tough because, you know, with this peak attendance, even though people were like, yeah, servants is great, we love servants, we're so happy. I was going, we are not moving towards this culture of discipleship. We are becoming that information station. We had good kids ministry, good worship. Some people liked the teaching, that's why they came but not that culture of discipleship. And the pandemic, well, I don't have to tell you guys how that impacted, impacted all of us, didn't it? Individually, it's our mental health, our spiritual well-being. Many people during the pandemic, I think have come out of the, many of us have come out of the pandemic wondering what does it really mean to be the church? I, I, you might have had this line of thinking, I know others have, where, where, okay, during the pandemic, I was committed to Servants Church, I watched every Sunday, I gave, we called people up, made sure they were okay. So to actually have to be in person, to be committed to a church, 
Those are the kind of questions that people are asking. And everyone's adjusting this. This brings us kind of maybe from the pandemic to present. Everyone's adjusting to these things. We're having learning what technical upgrades are supposed to look like. We have a changing demographic. There's a, many of you guys have only come to us in, in the last, I don't know, year or less. And we've had to reevaluate priorities because the truth is Servant Church looks a bit different than it did two years ago. And the truth is we need to get back on track to this culture of discipleship. Please don't take this as an you are blowing it. You're doing the wrong thing. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's just easy for us to slip into a place where we're being less than what Christ died for us to be. So why have we struggled? Well, I think one of the reasons we struggle is because Western church culture in general, I'm not just talking about servant church, I'm just talking about Norwich, I'm just I'm talking about England, I'm talking about everywhere in the West. Western church culture is strongly influenced by consumerism. So we choose churches not based on how we can grow, but based on what meets our felt needs. Oh, good kids ministry. Oh, good worship. Oh, good teaching. Oh, nice building. There's a reason we doubled when we got this building. We tend to choose church that way, and we're all guilty of it. And that's a resistance, actually, to a culture of discipleship. But also, listen, circumstances beyond our control. I mean, gosh, come on. <laughs> we didn't plan a global pandemic, did we? <laughs> no, nobody knew these lockdowns were going to happen. Nobody knew. And, and lots of churches are feeling some of the things that we're feeling. But also, to be honest, part of this is, is my failure to both develop and maintain lay leaders. And part of that failure comes from me not maintaining sustainable boundaries. Some of you guys know this, some of you guys don't, but the end of 2019, I burned out. Boxing Day 2019, I hit rock bottom, hit the wall. I was, in my mind, done. I, I don't, I, you know, I mean, I was holding on to Jesus just. But I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Because I, I didn't know how we were going to get from what we were moving towards to what God really wants us to be. How, how, we've kind of got off track, and I don't know how to get us back, and everyone seems to be so fine with it. I didn't know what to do. Uh, trustees were amazingly gracious to me. In fact, everyone on team was as well. Everyone was really gracious. And I was supposed to go on sabbatical. And so we said, let's schedule a sabbatical for March 1st, 2020. Hmm. So I got two weeks. And I got to say, God did great things in that two weeks. In two weeks, God really showed me where uh, my boundaries were not, where, where things were off in my own life. I mean, it's easy to kind of, when you're in that state, to go, it's just me, I'm a horrible sinner. That's all true. But unless you can identify what's actually going on, maybe where you've fallen short, you're not going to make progress. And so basically, uh, the pandemic starts, and, and I'm, I'm, we're, I'm praying with the trustees and the team about this, that like, what's going on, especially with the trustees? And as we're talking about this, I'm kind of realizing that as, as much as there's things that need to change, one of the big factors is, one of the big questions I have in my mind is, can I take this church farther? Have I done all that I can do? So it's kind of brought me to this place where we're looking forward to the next two years and next two to four years. And, and, and here's, the, here's the reality. We as trustees have been praying about this 
specifically for about eight months. God, what do you want to do? And here's for sure what we feel needs to happen. Servant Church wants to recapture the vision of a culture of discipleship, where leaders equip every saint as those who are speaking the truth in love. They're missionaries who speak the truth in love, equip one another toward gospel-centered relationships that attract seekers. Now, the little graphics I did, and I did the graphics, so I, please, be, be nice. <laughs> when the graphics are good, it's usually Leah. When the graphics are bad, it's usually me. But, but I did the graphics like this for a reason, because the other ones were like, looks like a building, because this is kind of how we think. What are we when we gather together? That's important, but it's not the whole picture. Because it's not just what we are when we gather together, it's what we are because of Jesus. We are his gathered people. We are his gathered and sent people. So that each of us who claim the name of Jesus, each of us who believe that Christ has saved us, each of us are called to be missionaries. But none of us are called to be missionaries by ourselves. We're called to do mission together. That's the culture of discipleship. And we want to get back to that. So how are we going to do this? Oh, well, a few things. Immediately, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be updating all our legal and formal affiliations. I announced this before, and you'll see more stuff. The reason we, we took the, the website's under construction is because we're changing a lot of things. We want to get things more clear. But So uh, we've been part of this movement called Calvary Chapel. Make a long story short, Calvary Chapel split some years ago. And uh, into what, what was CCA, it broke off into another group that was called now CGN. CCA stands for Calvary Chapel Association. CGN stands for Santa, uh, Calvary Global Network. We left CCA mainly because they, I felt, we felt, they overemphasize eschatology, which is end times. They felt an, like the hill they're going to die on is the timing of the rapture. Some of you guys probably don't even know what the rapture is. And I felt like that is not something that should be the hill that we die on. And that because of other things, specifically political things that they were, I think, making too, too much emphasis on, we thought it's healthy for us as a church to pull out of that and just stay with CGN. Now, CGN is a, is a uh, global uh, movement. And so we, we are internationally affiliated with Calvary Global Network. We are now applying to be affiliated nationally with a group called Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, F-I-E-C. Now, that's what Surrey Chapel is. Surrey Chapel is an F-I-E-C. Most of the churches in that movement are not charismatic. Maybe about 20% are, but they welcome charismatics, and we are charismatic. There's no pressure to, down, to dumb down. In fact, there's, there's a lot of, of F-I-E-C churches that are more charismatic than we are. <laughs> so we're nationally going to be joining that. Locally, I've been a part of this group called Equip, uh, for several years. We've changed the name to Norfolk Gospel Partnership, so we're going to be locally doing that. All these different affiliations, as well as like the legal things, like our bylaws, they all take a lot of work. So immediately, I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, trying to get these things up to date. I'm also going to be continuing to develop trustees and leaders, work with the team leaders to develop their goals for their teams and their groups. One of the things that I've, as I said, neglected was I've kind of I wouldn't say over-delegated, but I kind of would say, great, that's yours, see ya. And I wasn't really making sure the people doing these different things are doing okay. Not, I don't need to tell them what to do. I just need to say, are you okay? How's it going? 
are, are, do you understand is what you're doing fitting into the culture of discipleship? So we're going to be looking, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with, with the individual team members and trustees and, and talking about these things and, and us seeking the Lord together about what, what is it that God's calling them to commit to do. Also, what, what needs to happen immediately is that we need not only those team members and trustees, but we need every member, everyone who considers Servants Church their home, to find clarity and commitment and positivity regarding the distinct roles that will be invaluable in helping the church family in the following transitions. Before you talk about what transitions, you need to know, listen, that the transitions are not about just the shifts that we're making as leaders. The transitions are about us as a congregation becoming the culture of discipleship. So what are the transitions? By January 2023, we plan to hire a full-time associate pastor. That's someone who kind of, it would, in a sense, be my equal. All right, or right, right there with me. Uh, we're looking at this person to be maybe 30 to 40 years old because we want to see them stay long-term. They need to have some theological training because in case you haven't noticed, our church is pretty radically diverse. And if you don't understand the diversity, you won't respect it and love people. They also need to respect our roots. We're not part of CCA anymore, but we still have these roots of Calvary Chapel. And there's some things that, that we have, some things that we've, some people that we've uh, uh, attracted that, that can be marginalized other places. Uh, I mentioned already homeschoolers. Sometimes homeschoolers can be marginalized in other churches. We also have many of us who are young earth creationists. Not everybody, but a, a good portion. They can feel marginalized in churches. We also have people who, who do put an emphasis on eschatology. They can feel really marginalized in churches. So whoever comes to, to be the associate pastor has to respect those roots. Because again, it's part of our diversity is, is something that we think is, is healthy for us. By August 2023, Sarah will come off staff as the children's ministry director. This has always been the plan. The trustees, when they hired her, they said, two-year contract, and we want her to come off staff and someone else to be hired. So part of her job is to hopefully raise somebody up who we can hire from in-house. We know legally we have to put the stuff out there. We're, we're aware of those kind of labor laws. In case anybody's watching, we keep the law. <laughs> but that's the plan. And she will begin full-time work uh, in the earlier sector. This connects to what happens in September 2023. It says, I'm going to go down to three days a week. So I'm full-time right now with church. Thank you for being generous. The church pays me full-time. I'm going down to three days a week. And I'm doing this to pursue my Master's of Theology. Now, some of you guys, I think someone uh, had said to me, I was mentioning this, oh, I thought you already had your Master's. No, I started a Master's right before I hit burnout. Uh, and so then I stopped that. And what I've, I have been doing over the last couple of years is biblical counseling modules that have been incredibly helpful for me and really helpful for me as a pastor and a Jesus follower. Um, but God has just, through that, confirmed I need to go do a master's degree. And as that happens, we're going to begin to uh, transition from the associate pastor being next to me to actually replacing me. So the associate pastor will become the first among equals. So we'll be expecting to raise other trustees and other elders up. We'll have an associate pastor on staff that will be basically come to take my job eventually. And, and, and so what will happen is Sarah and I will stay here until at least 2004, helping with that transition. 
2000, yes, we're going to go back in time <laughs> and fix all the mess that we've made. We're that good. No, 2024. We're going to stay at least till September. I'm glad you guys have a sense of humor. 2024. Uh, we'll stay at least till then, but we won't stay longer than 2026, which is bit, be basically when I finish my master's degree. And we're going to leave Servants Church in the capable hands of the elders and trustees. So I know this is not, uh, this, is no, this is not, you know, we, we've, we've told, uh, of course, we've told the team, the leadership team, and uh, they responded, I think, perfectly. There was a few tears, uh, which if they would have been like, great, you're leaving, that would have been kind of like, oh, man, I should have <laughs> left five years ago. <laughs> but there was also like, God's got this. This is what God wants to do. And I'm really praying that's what you guys see as a congregation, that God is in this. We're only, we're, I, I need to be really clear about this. The, the desire to, to move on is not because we're moving on to greener pastures. Everyone says, you're going back to America. No, we've been offered four churches since I've pastored here. This is not one of those offers. We have no plans to go back to America. I'm doing my master's degree. I'm praying and, and asking. I, I think God wants me to teach in a Bible college in the future. That's what I'd like to do. I like the last kind of part of my ministry life, you know, my full-time ministry life. Because I'll be 56 by the time, no, I'll be 57 by the time I finish my master's degree. So I want kind of, from then until about 70, when they say you're too old, you gotta, you're not going to pay for this anymore, you know. I want that last bit of my time, if the Lord tarries that long, I hope he doesn't actually, but if he tarries that long, I, I want that bit of my time to be pouring into the next generation of pastors and leaders. But this is really not about that even. This is really about the fact that I, I've felt for years now that there's got to be a time when I step away. That what's best for servants is that eventually I step away. One of the things about being a church planter is you have to have this pioneering spirit. You've got to be able to kind of just put your shoulder down and not care about who doesn't like it and just keep going. But that's not always the best way to build a team. <laughs> So this is often the time when people, people who plant churches don't pastor long-term. By the time we'll le we leave, we'll be here, uh, if we at the earliest, just under 20 years, at the latest, 22 years. So, we need to keep moving forward as a culture of discipleship. Here's my expectation. I expect God's going to move in your hearts and you're going to go, yep, it's time for us to do our bit. More than just being a part of a team, more than just committing to being on a rota, I want to commit to these brothers and sisters. I believe God's going to pull us that direction. He's going to like move us that direction. I believe the next two uh, plus years, we're going to get a lot more dinner invitations. You know, when we had all five kid, kids living at home, we didn't understand why people didn't invite us over very often. I mean, people used to say, we'd have you come over, but we can't fit you in our house. But it's just Sarah and I now. <laughs> so please don't wait for us to arrange to meet with you. And I expect what's going to happen is we're going to have the most fruitful two to four years in the history of Servants Church. That God's going to do a good thing. He's going to pour out his spirit. This is
is going to make us is that, that culture of discipleship. Amen? Now, some of you might be thinking, really, John, our first bring and share, and you dropped the bomb? But doesn't it make sense to do it now? This is a perfect, bring and shares are the perfect time for us to move towards being a culture of discipleship, aren't they? And if you guys have questions, you can ask me questions. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> so if you're visiting today, I'm so sorry. This has got to be kind of tough. It won't be like this next bring and share. But I just want to say thank you. Sarah and I want to say thank you. Because we really do love serving you. So let's let the last few years be great. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us so much. And Lord, you don't just give a pastor to equip. You give apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Lord, you give many to equip. And I thank you, Lord, how you've equipped us and how you're going to raise up equippers here at Servants Church. And you're going to move us forward in the way we should go. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't let us, left us guessing. We don't have to come up with some grand strategy. We just need to be who we're meant to be, the culture of discipleship. Father, I pray that, that your people, all of us as your people, we would catch that as the New Testament vision and trust you to fill in the gaps of how we do that. Father, we pray that you would bless our time together as a church family. We pray that we'd have just a lovely time together eating, both celebrating and, and mourning, and just looking forward, God. Lord, the great thing about the gospel is the best is yet to come. Thank you for that truth, God. We just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.